Galatians chapter 1, we are tonight finishing up the four fruits. Paul's four fruits of uh, the non human origin of this conversion in the gospel. Uh, we saw verse 1 and verse 13 to 17. Excuse me. Uh, proof one was 13 through 17. His religious background didn't account for his conversion. Uh, his second proof, proof number two, was verses 18 through 20, uh, where he shows that he was not commissioned by the Jerusalem church. That's what we looked at last Sunday night. And then proof three tonight that we're looking at is verses 21 through those he formerly persecuted glorified God because of him. Now, uh, tonight's, even the number of verses is short, uh, we really couldn't get in. The next proof is verses 1 through 10 of, uh, of chapter 2. And, and there's a lot there. So it will we'll be probably two or three Sunday nights just in that section. We won't get through it in one night. So I didn't want to start it tonight and end in an even worse place uh, in that section uh, than, than we'll have to anyway. So this third proof, uh, re- again, remember, it's, it's him telling them that his gospel is not some concoction that he made up. It's also not some amalgamation of what he was taught plus what he wishes it were. He is He's proving to the church in Galatia, primarily proving to those who are stirring up trouble in the church in Galatia, that this is Jesus' gospel. This is the pure gospel. And this fourth, uh, third proof uh, is a proof of it because the ones that, that he had stood by while they were uh, thrown in prison, or he'd actually thrown them in prison, been around when he stood by the, the murder of Stephen, etc., they uh, now glorify God because of Paul. Uh, this, at least, is an incredible uh, praise to what God had done in the life of Paul. We'll, uh, we'll see that as we move through it. <clears throat> so he says in verses 21 through 24, Afterward, after, well, let's kind of catch up on our timeline here before we get into that. Um, he, he was in... Uh, Damascus, verse uh, 10, verse 11, he, he tells them, I, I want you to know that the gospel preached by, by me is not of human origin. You heard about my former way of life. In verse 13, how good he was, how impressive he was um, as, a, as a devout Jew. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem those, to those who become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. So he's talking about there, immediately following his conversion. We know he went on to Damascus. That's where he was going. He met Ananias. The, the scales fell from his eyes. He spent a little time there. Then he went to Arabia, came back to Damascus. After three years uh, in Damascus, he did go up to Jerusalem. Uh, this would be his first trip to Jerusalem. Uh, they, he got to know Cephas, he's only there, or Peter, he's only there for 15 days. Afterward, now, 20, verse 21, so after the, the 15 days that he was there, he moved on uh, from Jerusalem. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. 
I remain personally unknown to the Judean church uh, churches that are in Christ. So the churches in Israel there. They simply kept hearing, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, And they glorified God because of me. So, just an incredible testimony of life change anyway. But let's talk about what he's talking about here. Syria and Cilicia, those, that was one province with one governor. It was uh, two uh, uh, areas with probably two prominent cities. And it may have been the cities that were the were of prominence, but that area one governor. It would uh, the best thing I could think of to compare it to. I don't know. This helps y'all any, except I'll just explain it to you, and maybe it will. Uh, the uh, region that our church in Texas was was uh, evangelizing, attempting to evangelize in Spain, was called Extremadura. And that was the, the state, uh, province, that was made up of two counties, or what we think of as counties. And it had one, one governor, for lack of a better term, but it was divided into two parts. It would be similar if Louisiana had, it, this area would have been much, much smaller than Louisiana, but if Louisiana had only two parishes. If uh, there was a northern parish and then a, a southern parish, then then that would be something like what he's talking about here. Uh, one region, uh, uh, one province with with one governor. <clears throat> Tarsus was the capital of Cilicia. That that uh, that one part of that. Now we know Saul was from Tarsus. Uh, that's that was his home. Uh, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and someone may, I don't think there was another Tarsus at this time, so um, I'm pretty sure that is the case. That was that was where he was from. So he went back, basically, he went back home. Um, what happened while he was there? What was the result of his time there? Well, he doesn't talk about it in Galatians, but we do see it in Acts. You're going to be doing a little page flipping tonight because we're going to go pick up on some things that he talks about in other places. The first place we're going to is Acts 15. Acts 15 tells us uh, about his time and his, the results there in uh, Syria and Cilicia. Starting in verse 23. Well, sorry, in 22, because that, that, hold on, yeah, there we go, okay, yeah, it it, it threw me there for a second, Uh, let's go back to 22, because that sets us up, then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, From the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So uh, this whole area kind of went together. Greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, uh, uh, from any, eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You would do well if you keep yourselves from these things. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the, the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had not gone on with them to work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and uh, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended uh, by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So this is actually... This description is later on in the story. Um, This wasn't the first trip to Syria and Cilicia. But what we see is that he is going back with uh, Silas to strengthen the churches he'd already been to. That's um, the, uh, let's see, that's verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters. So, we know from that that there was work that he did in Syria and Cilicia um, that grew into churches. There, there was mission work that was done. Now, if we go to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 29 that gives us maybe a little more detail. This one's a little more tenuous as to whether what exactly he's talking about, but it's possible 2 Corinthians is also talking about that time there, 11, 23 through 29. It says, Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the forty lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me. My concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation? There's some indication that at least some of this description is from what happened in Syria and uh, Cilicia. Uh, Acts, after Syria and Cilicia, after he'd spent those, that time there, and, and if we go back to uh, where we were in Galatians briefly, because we're going to go back to Acts, uh, I don't have any of these verses projected, so if you want to turn to them, uh, you, you can. But back to, to Galatians, when he said afterward... I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, just again to catch us up and to see what he was going through. Uh, Acts eleven twenty five through 26, 
give us gives us some detail of while he was there. And I want to I do I want to read one thing from you because I didn't want to put this all in my notes. I want to read straight from the book on Galatians. What they uh, what this commentator had said and what what he describes of going or, or how he describes what went on in Syria and Cilicia, uh, based on what we understand. Hold on, I got a question. That is asking if Antioch was part of Syria and Cilicia. Yes, I think so. Uh, look at your. Let's let's turn to our maps. Antioch was west of Jerusalem, west of Israel. Uh, northwest, and that's where Syria was. Yeah, if you look, if you have a good map, or uh, your last map, not a good map, the, the missionary journeys, you see Syria's north, uh, northwest kind of, but north of Jerusalem, Judea, and then on around in Asia Minor is Cilicia, and Tarsus is there. And that is uh, Paul's hometown. So that's, that's all the same. Now, there, there are also two Antiochs. We have to remember that. Now we're getting real technical. There were two Antiochs. There was Syrian Antioch, which in Syri- was in Syria, and then there was... I've got to remember where the other one was. Pisidian Antioch? But I don't remember exactly where it was, but we're talking about Syrian Antioch all this time. Yes, sir, Pisidia. Yeah, my 11-year-old just told me that answer, by the way. Pisidian Antioch. Where did you learn that? Sunday school? (laughs) He doesn't even know where he learned it. He just picked it up somewhere. Yeah, he takes Bible at school. Where is that, uh, Jim? On the map. Yes, sir. Phrygia? Oh, I see Pamphylia. Let me look at a different map. Does everybody have maps in their Bible? You're supposed to be looking with me. What? Y'all bought Bibles without maps? Come on, folks. Pink and blue. Let's see if mine's pink and blue, too. It's not on ours for some reason. I got Durba, Lystra, Seleucia, Phrygia, Tripolis, Ephesus. Anyway, well, at least you know what I'm talking about. I just wanted to make clear there are two Antiochs. And you'll hear about them. You'll read about them in in various places. We're talking about the one that's close to Judea. All right. That was a a rabbit. and I'm not even sure we killed it. Uh, But we sure did chase it. So, uh, the commentator writing about these years in uh, Cilicia and Syria says, These years, no less than his earlier journey to Arabia and his preaching efforts in Damascus and Jerusalem, were part of a divine preparation for his later, more extensive missionary labors. And here's the part I want you to hear. God sometimes calls his servants to labor in obscure places and under difficult circumstances in order to make them ready for some particular task or assignment unknown to them at the time. It may well be that Paul would not have had the wisdom to write Romans or the equanimity to deal with the fractious Corinthians or the courage to withstand the false teachers of Galatia. 
or the endurance to face arrest in Jerusalem and martyrdom in Rome had it not been for the ten years or so he spent laboring in little-known places with results difficult to quantify. We don't have anything on what happened in Syria and Cilicia. We don't have any evidence of a great work in Tarsus, uh, Arabia. We don't know of anything that he did. We talked about that some last week. They're, they're silent years for Paul. We know he went, and we know they made him the, the missionary he is, but we don't know, we, we have no great churches to, to point to, to talk about. We, we, he didn't write letters like he did to Ephesus and excuse me, in Galatia, and, uh, to, to Corinth, and those kinds of things. And they, so they seem obscure. They seem fruitless. Uh, even his time in Athens, uh, he, he left Athens pretty discouraged because he had not seen the conversions in Athens that he had in other places. But that does not mean God didn't use him. That doesn't mean that God wasn't developing him and growing. Am I coming and going? Is my microphone? green down here. It seems like it does is change. I, I notice a change. Um, I think part of it's when I look down, it echoes. I think that's what it is. <clears throat> so, but I gotta give a seat. So, yeah. um, so that's what we're that's what we're dealing with with Paul here. We're dealing with honestly Paul's failures as a missionary. We talked about uh, I think last week too. He uh, was down in uh, Petra. Uh, those that was the area where he. Uh, uh, down the area of Arabia. And, and, and we just don't have anything. We don't have Paul Baptist Church in, in, in those places. And that's good. Good, I say, because it shows us that the greatest missionary the world has ever known had failures. Had times where he, he got discouraged. And he can talk about, like he did in Corinthians, all the various ways that he suffered trials. And probably much of that here when he was, uh, quote, unsuccessful. So, that's the, the Syria and Cilicia connection. Now, after Syria and Cilicia, we, we see in Acts 11, 25 through 26, and we see more of uh, the possibility here that he was unsuccessful he says, excuse me, Acts says, Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. This is uh, uh, Barnabas, I believe we're talking about. Let me look back. Yeah, Barnabas traveled to Antioch. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers of disciples. They were first called Christians there. So, I know... We, I gave you the timeline incorrectly, but I was trying to, to, to show what was going on. He went from Arabia, from Damascus to Arabia, back to Damascus. He went to Jerusalem for 15 days. And from Jerusalem, that's when he went on to Syria and Cilicia. And then the church at Antioch sent Barnabas to get him. And they brought him back to Antioch. And then was when very likely, uh, possibly anyway, they had a discussion and he went back later on to strengthen the churches that uh, that we don't hear about up there. Okay, so that's that's where we are. That time in Antioch, that's my next bullet point, and that's what we're talking about, led to the controversy and the confrontation that he's going to describe in Galatians 2, 1 through 14. We get to that in a few weeks. 
that's when he's going to then go up, he's going to talk about meeting with the elders and talking about the, the Gentile issue. Um, and that that we read in Acts 15, the letter, that's the result of that. That's the time in Antioch. I know, terribly confusing. The point is, all of this was going on, and he's once again showing them. Look, I had no opportunity to spend time with the guys in Jerusalem. I was in uh, Syria and Cilicia. I was in Antioch. Then, when I was in Antioch, yeah, we had that issue, and I went back to Jerusalem to talk to the elders. And he's going to say, so-called elders. He's going to make clear that, look, well, I don't want to spoil all that. That's some, that's some good fun we'll have later on. So he moves on uh, in, in our Galatians passage now. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Verse 22, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches. So Judea was about the size of present-day Israel. So other than that 15 days that he kind of swooped in to Jerusalem, saw talked to Peter for a little bit, maybe waved a couple of other guys, and then went on to Syria and Cilicia. Other than that, he had not spent any time in those churches in the uh, region of Judea. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, he knew a few Christians in Jerusalem only. Proving to them one more time. Those churches, I've never been to those churches. Didn't talk to them. They hadn't seen me on TV. Uh, hadn't sent them emails. We didn't FaceTime. Didn't do any of that business. But what happened? Verse 23, they simply kept hearing these reports. He who formerly persecuted now preaches the faith. They kept hearing those reports. It was spreading all over Judea. All the way from, if you have your maps, all the way from the northwest corner of the Mediterranean, where Syria and Cilicia were, it was spreading all the way down to present-day Israel and over into Syria. Uh, well, Antioch was up, up from there. Uh, all of those folks were hearing about this from a long way away in this day, this time. No Twitter, no Facebook. Continued reports change their minds about it. Uh, I kind of compare it to uh, Chuck Colson. Now, I wasn't around for Watergate. Well, I was. But I was two. I think. Wasn't Watergate in 77? Or was it earlier than that? 74? I wasn't around. Um, but I understand, and, and y'all correct me, those of you who were around for it, correct me if I'm wrong. You heard a lot about Chuck Colson before prison fellowship Chuck Colson, right? Before Christian Chuck Colson. Were y'all familiar with it? His name came up a lot, right? Nod or something. Not, don't nod off, just nod. Yes, okay. So what did you hear about him? What was he? Did somebody describe him. He was bad. What? I, the hatchet man, wasn't he? I mean, he was the one who... If I understand it correctly, came up with the plan, got it all together. I mean, he was Nixon's bulldog and was not a nice guy. I mean, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, I think we can all agree that Chuck Colson was not a, not a good dude. Some of y'all looking like, don't talk about Chuck Colson that way. 
Chuck Colson talked about Chuck Colson that way. But then, then what did you hear? Uh, I can't remember when he got saved. Early 80s, I think. No, no, it was before that. It was actually during the trials that he got saved. What did you begin to hear about Chuck Colson? Did you hear about his salvation? Did it trickle through the churches at all? You did. And what did you think? Well, he... I don't think he was quite in prison. If I remember correctly, it was during the trial, and there was a point in the trial where he quit defending himself. He finally, because of his conversion, if I understand it, said, you know what? I am guilty. And I'm going to prison. Now, I may be getting Chuck Colson's version of that, or my very uh, loose history, uh, but so correct, I'm open to be corrected on that, but that's what I understand. He got saved during the trial process and it completely changed the way he approached the trial. But then when he went to prison and he saw the conditions of prison, when he got as soon as he got out, I mean, it, let me ask you this, those of you who heard he was a Christian, what did you think when you first began to hear that knowing what you knew about him during the Watergate scandal? Thank you for being honest, Aris. Yes, you go... Come on. No, he just he just wanted to get out of prison or get out of the trial. He was just trying to schmooze the judge, right? Judge, I'm a changed man. I believe in Jesus now. I don't need however many years he got. I mean, that's what you that, that that's that's your opinion. Uh, you don't don't sit there and lie. That that's kind of what you think about. I mean, how many people have that second opinion today of Ted Bundy's uh, conversion on death row? The same kind of thing. Really, Ted, you murdered all those people, and then, you know, just a few weeks or so before you get the electric chair, then you convert. Seems pretty convenient. Well, that is the way Jesus works. So uh, I won't doubt the man's salvation. Uh, certainly won't doubt Chuck Colson. But the, then, again, having not lived through it, I've got to live vicariously through y'all who are a year or two older than me. You begin to hear of his prison work. Then he gets out of prison, and and you realize this guy has changed. He is different. How many of y'all met Chuck Colson? Okay, good. Then did I actually see a hand? Somebody scratch your nose. Okay, uh, yeah. None of you met Chuck Colson, so all you have to go on is what technically you heard about it. Chuck Colson's in starting prison fellowship. Chuck Colson's doing this. Chuck Colson's living out his faith. Chuck Colson's living out his faith. Until finally, I'm guessing, y'all began to think, I think he got saved. This is pretty impressive. And then, of course, now with complete 2020 hindsight and the uh, 40 years of his ministry, we know without a doubt the man was saved. That's what was happening with Paul. They began to hear, wait a minute, you're telling me Saul, right? Saul is Saul, coat-holding, Stephen-stoning, Christian-imprisoning Saul. preaching the God. I don't believe. I don't believe. No, you, you, you're, you've got somebody else. No, he's actually, he's up in Tarsus right now, preaching in his hometown. Can't be. No. no. Yeah, there's a church started in Cilicia. A couple of them, little small churches. I mean, it's not... He's struggling, but it's him. It's, it's, he calls, they, go, they call him Paul now, not, not just Saul. It cannot be that guy. But then, what does Paul say? 
They simply kept hearing. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith. That faith that he once tried to destroy. Paul describes what destroying the faith means over in verse 22 of chapter 3 in Galatians. Galatians 3.22. He tells us what it means to destroy the faith. The scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. To those who believe. That's the wrong verse. I hate it when I do that. Oh well, trust me. Paul's going to say, destroying the faith is an attempt to destroy the gospel himself. Uh, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't mince words about this. If you are willing to, to work against the faith, if you are willing to uh, destroy the faith then you are actually attempting to destroy Christ, to, to, to end the work of Christ. And that's... So when he says, when Paul says in this verse, verse, 20, uh, just verse 23, he once tried to destroy, he is saying that I was the one that was willing to kill Christ over again, but in order to stamp out the message. I mean, Jesus, when he approaches... Paul on the road to Damascus. Why do you kick against the goad? Why are you Why are you fighting this that you cannot win against? Well, Paul thought he could win. Thought he could destroy the faith. And they heard about this. And Paul says in verse 24, when they heard about it, when they continued to hear about this, they glorified God because of me. This verse 24 parallels verse 5. Uh, where Paul says to him, God the Father, uh, be the glory forever and ever. These two verses, uh, 1.5 and 2.24, show the power of God for change. And again, this this commentator put it in a way that uh, was too good to pass up. This commentator says that the common thread running through both anthems of praise, verse uh, Galatians 1, 5 and Galatians 2.24. I'm sorry, 1.24. I hadn't made it to 2 yet. 1.5 and 1.24. The common thread running through both anthems of praise is the triumph of God against the, the machinations of Satan who dominates this present evil age, against the insinuations and plots of the false teachers who would pervert the true gospel, against heresy and schism, against persecution and hardship, against all of this, our God reigns. God's kingdom, God's eternal will, God's purpose and grace, God's plan of salvation, God's building up of the church, God's transforming work in the life of every sinner, even so notorious a one as Paul the persecutor. For all of this, we too, along with worshiping Christians of every age and place, can lift up our hearts in praise, adoration, and triumphant hope. That's what Paul captured in this one little verse. And they glorified God because of me. They heard the message uh, that, that Paul was no longer persecuted, Paul the persecutor, he is now Paul the preacher. And they couldn't believe it, and they couldn't believe it. When they finally believed it, all they could do was praise God for his power in changing hearts of even the most notorious persecutor at the time. That is an impressive story. And that's why Paul could say, look, 
believe the gospel because it changed me. I mean, that's why he set us up with that back in uh, the verses 13, 14, 15, talking about his advanced stage in Judaism. He, he, he was telling them, look, guys, the gospel that changed me cannot be a fake, watered-down, uh, mixed gospel. And then finally, uh, he's, he's saying here, they glorified God because of me, uh, formerly persecuted, but he now preaches that faith. The Judaizers of this day claimed to be authoritative. They claimed an authoritative gospel based on Jerusalem uh, preachers. Jerusalem, uh, uh, a Jerusalem uh, beginning. So when they would stand up and say, yes, you have to be saved, you have to believe in Christ, but you have to be circumcised. But you have to do these other things. You have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. That's what they were saying they had to do. Before you could be a Christian, you had to become a Jew and come into Christianity that way. They were saying those things because they said, look, we've got the authoritative gospel. And we got it from the, the folks in Jerusalem. I, so I'm telling you, they were saying as they sold their snake oil, this is the best stuff. This is the gospel. The reality is... Had Paul been preaching the real gospel from the real Jerusalem Christians, as the Judaizers said they had, the Judean churches would not have praised God for it. Because they would have known he was preaching a gospel different from what they preached in Judea. He, they would have known, Peter would have known, and James would have known, and others would have known, this is not our gospel. So they would not have praised Paul for it. That's his other little backdoor proof. This would be proof number three and a half. Uh, that they would have never praised this gospel if I was preaching something so totally different. So, in ending and in conclusion, his, his gospel, though not from the disciples, was not different from theirs. They would not have praised him for a different gospel. They would have not have, they would not have praised him for coming to faith in something that wasn't what they were preaching. And, you know, if, if we heard of uh, a Muslim that became a Buddhist, we were like, eh, yay? I mean, that, that wouldn't impress us because you went from one false religion to another. And that's what the, the folks in Judea would have done. Yay, Saul went from persecuting uh, Christians to some, some perversion of the gospel we've been preaching here in, in Judea and Jerusalem. And yay, good for Paul, who cares? But that's not what they said. The gospel that he converted to, that converted him, was the very gospel that they had been sharing and had the power to change even Paul the persecutor. So, we're stopping there. Eventually, we'll jump to chapter 2. And 1 through 10, uh, really 1 through 14, 1 for, uh, 14... 11.14, 11 through 14, wraps it up and gets us into the next section of Galatians. He, he goes from defense uh, to uh, teaching. Now, he, 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 he transitions from this is what I'm, I'm preaching. This is the gospel free from the law. Now I'm going to tell you what freedom from the law really looks like. That's what he's going to get into uh, middle of chapter 10, but we're a few weeks away from that.
easy questions that I can answer. Don't ask me those hard questions. Because I'll say I don't know. I'll ask me the hard ones just so I can say I don't know and prove my point for my sermon this morning. Nothing? All right. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that your gospel is strong enough even to, to, to change Paul. And, and we can look and we can see and, and we hear his words and we can rejoice that you work a gospel powerful enough to change the hardened sinner, the hardest of sinners, the persecutor of the faith like Paul or just a, 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 a jack wagon like Chuck Colson who... who admitted to being a hatchet man in, in his party, or, or even to a serial killer like Ted Bundy, that your gospel is not so, or maybe I should say it another way, in a positive way, your gospel is so powerful, there's no life that is beyond redemption. There is no soul unsavable. There is no sin unforgivable. There's no person beyond the reach of your grace. God, we thank you because whether you're a mass murderer uh, like Ted Bundy or a career criminal like Chuck Colson or just regular old lying, cheating, gossiping sinners like most of us, we all deserve the same hell. And yet you provide the salvation powerful enough to save every one of us. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's testimony of the faithfulness of the gospel, that we can return to the word. And any time we get off track or we hear someone say, oh, here's the gospel, I know it's supposed to be this way, I know it's this, we can go to Paul and say and, and, and hear him say again, no, this is the gospel, and should anyone preach anything other than that, may they be accursed. We thank you for the purity of your word and how you preserved it for our, our day today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.